0: Amen. 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 Take your seats, everybody. Welcome to join a group Sunday. We're so thankful. And today we're really just going to do our best to encourage you to be in a connect group, maybe even encourage some of you one day to step out and lead a connect group. Man. Oh, Oh, is that the doorbell? Wifey. Jen, there you go. First couple has arrived to our connect group today, church. I guess you can give them a round of applause. That feels natural. Although they are not going to interact with you very much. But uh, yes, our first couple has arrived to connect group. We can see how simple it is just to welcome them into your house. And some groups meet in homes and some groups meet in coffee shops or at parks or things like that. But Another couple has arrived. Jan, go ahead. There they are. They got their Bibles. They've got notepads. They're getting wonderful hugs. See how simple this is, everybody? And uh, some of them will grab a good drink, some of their favorite drinks. Oh, coffee. <laughs> it's not a connect group without coffee. Am I right? So make sure if you're hosting a connect group, have some coffee. Oh, another. There's another couple. They've arrived. This one's by himself. Church. It's okay to come solo. Don't be scared. Don't be scared to go to a connect group alone. Sometimes you just got to encourage yourself in the Lord and say, I think I need to be in a connect group even if nobody else is going with me. It can be difficult and stressful sometimes to go to a connect group by yourself, especially brand new. One more couple. I think that this is our very last... Well, you know... Friends arriving together. They just so happen. <laughs> they just so happen to drive separately but ri- arrive at the same time, folks. You guys got your minds in the gutters today. What, you never seen two dudes hang out before? There we go. Maybe next service will fix that. But as you can see, we're going to have a little connect group today. I don't know about you guys, but I'd be grabbing the Jones sodas. Nobody grabbed a Jones soda. Wow. (laughs) But I believe every single person in this room today is not just a follower, but you're also a leader. I see leaders. I see followers. Every leader is a great follower. But I want to see every follower become a great leader. I hope you caught that. Every leader is a follower, but I want to see every follower become a great leader. There was a man in the Bible, which we're going to really study through today. His name is Philip. He was a disciple of Jesus Christ. We're going to take a look at Philip quite a bit today, but Philip in the Bible began as a follower of Jesus, but then he became a leader for the church. We'll take a look at it, Philip, a little bit today. But I believe there really are some misconceptions when it comes to connect groups. I think some of you guys look at maybe our connect group leaders and you think they're just superstars with no problems, no deficiencies, no lack, that their yes to lead a connect group was no hesitation whatsoever, barely even needed to pray about it. They woke up one morning feeling confident and saying to themselves, today I am a leader of a connect group. And then somebody asked them to be a leader and they said, absolutely, I'll be a leader. It's what I'm destined and designed to do. There are misconceptions about groups, about going to groups, about being a connect group leader. I think number one misconception is that people always feel like going to a group. (laughs) Always feel like going to a group. This is a misconception about connect groups. But you know, we don't always do things based upon our feelings. I don't eat healthy because I feel like it. I don't go to the gym and exercise because I feel like it. I don't wake up every single day saying to myself, I feel like going to work today. But these are things that we do because they're good for us. And we understand that we must participate in such activities or we'll be unhealthy without money, uh, lacking strength in our life. And I want to encourage you that going to a connect group or even leading a connect group, That it's not, you're not always going to feel like doing it. And I got a question for Rob here today. Rob, do you ever feel like not going to a group or even feel like not leading your group at times? Let us know how you feel about that.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, if you wake up early and you're tired, sometimes you go, man, I just, maybe I won't go today. Or like if you've worked all day and you're tired and you're just like, oh, do I have to do this? But you know what? I I've, I've really b- believe that in those times of sacrifices where you feel the Lord is is moving in your life, it's these little tiny things that bring the anointing. It's, it's these, these times where you make that sacrifice to say, you know what, I'm going to go anyway. Whether I feel like it or not, I'm going to go And those are sometimes the best ones. Do you guys believe me when I say that? Those are the best ones. It's just like coming to church. You come to church, you say, I'm tired, but I'm going to go. And sometimes those were the best moments in church. You know, and same with Connect Group. Those are the best Connect Groups where the Holy Spirit is just moving. The worship is just moving. The Word is just touching your heart. So it's a sacrifice, Pastor. Look, I really believe that. Sometimes you don't feel like going, but that is where... Uh, The Holy Spirit can move. You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. You know, so I believe a common misconception is that people always feel like going or every leader is always very ready to go to lead their group. You know, sometimes on the weekend when you make a decision to do something later on the week, on the weekend you feel good. You feel excited. You're energetic on a Saturday uh, evening, oh yeah, Thursday night, I'm going to go to group, but by the, time, by the time Thursday night rolls around, your your week was was difficult, your day was difficult, you're way more tired on Thursday than you anticipated, and so you think to yourself, man, I've had a long week, I don't really want to go to connect group tonight, but I'll encourage every single person in here that that we do these things, not based upon our feelings, but we do these things based upon wanting to be healthy and a part of the family here at church, amen, church? Another misconception is that I am ready to be a connect group leader. I think the moment you think that you're ready to be a connect group leader, God says, uh uh uh. I sense a little pride in there. And He'll wait until we're insecure, <laughs> feeling like we have nothing to offer. And then all of a sudden, somebody will ask us, Hey, have you ever considered being a connect group leader? And you'll think to yourself, Why didn't they ask me at this time last year? I was way more confident last year. That's how the Spirit of the Lord works, church. God is looking for availability, not ability. He's not looking at your ability to be an amazing leader in order to use you. He's looking for people to see Here I am, Lord, send me my deficiencies, my insecurities, my lack of knowledge. I'm not competent in this, but Lord, I am available to you today. Amen, church? God will use the very common things of this world to lead the wise of this world. That's who we are, church. The disciples were just seen as common, uneducated, unschooled people, but they led a revolution and started the church that still exists today. And we're a part of that. And we're called to do the very same thing. Pastor Aaron, question for you. When you started leading a group, did you personally feel qualified to be a Connect Group leader? Uh, nope.
2: Not, not at all. Um, When I first got asked to be uh, a young adult connect group leader, I think I was 18. And uh, I definitely did not feel like I was qualified at all to lead uh, a small group with young adults, um, especially because I don't know if you guys know this, but when you're 18, um, like somebody who's like 23, feels like they're they're so wise and they know everything like they're graduated from college they have a real job and i just graduated from high school what in the world am i going to how am i going to help lead a group with these other young adults um but I just said yes anyway, even when I didn't, definitely didn't feel qualified. And man, it's been awesome to see, you know, that was maybe six years ago. And just, so to see what God has done in the different connect groups that I've got to be a part of over this past, past six years, just because I said yes. Kind of like Rob said, that sacrifice, even when I didn't feel qualified. Man, it's been awesome to see what God has done and how God has worked in those groups and also worked in my life. Even uh, because I said yes, even when I did not, definitely did not
0: feel qualified. You see, these are just misconceptions. That these aren't just superheroes who lead groups, but they're just normal everyday people who were brave enough to say yes. And maybe even to attend a group feels feels so difficult or uh, uh, like like a, a wall. You cannot get over it. Uh, oh, I'm just too nervous to go. I don't know many people in the church. I, I, and well, I want to encourage you that just when the doorbell was ringing here this morning and, and they were welcome, you're going to be welcomed with a hug and a, and you're going to be given a drink and you're going to be welcomed into the group and you'll be loved on and taken care of and prayed for and helped. And you're going to need that. One of these days, you're going to need some extra prayer one of these days. So get into a group. Another misconception, last one here is that being a connect group leader makes me confident and complete. <laughs> being a connect group leader makes me confident and complete. There is misconceptions about groups and leaders, but the reality is, is that we really are just simple human beings who have said yes to being used by God. Jen, my wife. I got a question for you. When you're done leading your group, do you feel a sense of insecurity and even curious if people had a good time?
3: Yeah, I think anytime you step out and say yes to the Lord and do something new, your flesh is right there battling you, doubting yourself, feeling insecure. And I'll even say that even before your connect group meets, as you're inviting people, you're wondering, is anybody going to show up? (laughs) You're prepping all that food and prepping your home, and you think, what if it's just me and my co-leader, and we're here with all of these tacos, and it's just the two of us? So you even have doubts and insecurities before anybody shows up, and then as you're preparing your lesson, you know, you're really passionate about the the word that God is stirring in your heart, and you think, oh, am I going to be able to deliver this, you know, the way that, you know, are they going to receive it the way that it's stirring and the way that the Lord helped me to receive it. And so you can absolutely battle some insecurities. And I remember recently I heard um, just a really respected leader. In fact, they're a leader of leaders and they, they coach and they mentor and they've been in ministry and leadership for decades. And they said that insecurity was a battle when they were younger And even all these decades later, it's still a battle that they deal with. And so anytime we step out and do something new for the Lord, we're met with that fear and insecurity, and that's just the enemy trying to discourage us. But we're dealing with that as leaders, where we're wanting you to feel welcome. We're wanting you to receive from the Lord, and we're just trying to be obedient to the Lord and and asking the Lord to help equip us as we do that.
0: We're, We're really all... There's, we're all really the same. You know, the, there's a, there's a great saying that it's just le, it's level ground at the cross. There's not it's not uneven ground where certain people are on a on a pedestal. They've come to the cross on a pedestal looking down at others, you know, oh, I am your leader, who? Huh. You know, no, we we all are are here on level ground and I I just want to encourage even people today that that you're 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 nervous about going to a group because you just see people maybe that that are further along than you, and boy, they, they are, their prayers seem eloquent and wise, and you're so new, and, and you're, you're insecure even about stepping into a home around people who have been Christian for maybe 20, 30 years. I want to let you know that we're very humble, and we understand it's level footing at the cross, and we had a beginning just like everybody else, and what we needed at the beginning was somebody to welcome welcome us into into a family, and we're going to do the same for you because we sense that at our beginning stages too. So we want everybody to be in groups and everybody to feel like they want to be in a group, but there was a man named Philip in the Bible— he was a follower of Jesus. And so we're asking everybody to, to get into groups and to become followers today of Jesus and of followers of the discipleship process here at Cornerstone Church. But also, he was not just a follower. He was a leader among the church. We're, every single one of us are called to be followers and we're called to be leaders at the same time. And I believe every single person in this room is not just a follower but you're also a leader. Let's look through the book of John a little bit today. John chapter 1, verse 43. Listen to the, this verse, John 1, verse 43. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Come, follow me. So Jesus gets Philip. And let's see the very next thing that Philip does after he was asked by Jesus to become a follower. What's the very next thing that Philip does? Let's read it in verse 45 of John chapter 1, just two more verses down. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. I believe that those who have been found by Jesus should go out and find someone else themselves. See, Philip was found by Jesus, and then he went out, he went out, Philip went out, and found Nathanael. And followers of Jesus are finders of people, and I believe Philip initially here went after his best friend. That was his initial response after the Savior had found him. It's, he could not help wait. I mean, two verses later, he is so excited about being found by Jesus that Philip is going out to find his absolute best friend, who happens to be Nathaniel, and Philip is now encouraging others to follow Jesus. He's saying, you got to get involved with this thing. I, you cannot be left behind, Nathaniel. You're my best friend. Let's do this together. Do you know the absolute best way for people to find Jesus is for you to carefully and smartly guide them? That's right. A connection from a personal relationship is the absolute best way for people to follow Jesus. So you have connections with Cousins and brothers and sisters and co workers, and you've got friends that are out there, they are, they are, they're your people to go after. Okay? They're your friends, they're your people. And I believe that there is this wonderful thing called the spirit of Philip, And, and it's a spirit of bringing people to Jesus. And I pray we all can get hold of it today. Let's continue reading in verses 47 and 48. It says, as they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. I believe, I believe with all my heart that when Jesus asked Philip to be a follower, he saw Nathanael too that, that he, he was, Jesus was strategic and getting Philip, knowing Philip was going to get Nathaniel, that Jesus wasn't just going after Philip, with the, but he had seen Philip's friend too. And you see, when Jesus invites you into the kingdom, he doesn't just see you, folks. He doesn't just have his eyes just solely fixed on you, does he? Yes, he is solely 100% fixed on you, but he is also 100% fixed on your friend too. And that he'll pull you into the church knowing that you're going to pull somebody else into the church too. We're not supposed to do this just solely alone with this independence all around us. And some people will follow Jesus because their friends follow Jesus. And Jesus sees your friends right now. I hate to say it, but brand new people aren't coming to Cornerstone Church because they love the pastor. Well, they don't know the pastor. How could they love a man they don't know? So why are they stepping into Cornerstone Church for the very first time? Because they love you. You see? We can only do so much from the pulpit, but you have a reach beyond what we can do. People aren't coming to Cornerstone Church because they love the music minister. They don't know the music minister. They're coming to church because they love you. Let's get a spirit of Philip in this place today that says, I am a connection to the house of God, and I'm going to bring my friends to church. This is how we influence the world, Cornerstone Church. You've got to find your friends. So Philip, first of all, goes after his best friend, and then he goes a little bit further beyond that inner circle. Let's read in John chapter 6, a little couple chapters over, verses 5 through 9 this morning. John 6, verses 5 through 9, says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? See, I believe that Philip, along with Andrew and Peter, went around looking for people that I call interested people. See, these are people outside of our circle of influence, but they're very much interested in the things of the Lord. They're curious about church. They're wondering about God and heaven and the afterlife, and they're curious about things like, Spiritual things and church things and Christian things and they 've got questions and they 're kind of coming around your 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 desk at the workplace and and interested in your relationship with God, interested in the church that you go to. They're not your friend, but they're interested people. And Philip found a person who was interested in Jesus. Jesus. It was happened to be at this point a young boy who had come with a large crowd of people to see what Jesus was all about. And he finds somebody who's interested in Jesus and he brings this young boy to Jesus. And him and, and Philip and Andrew and Peter, they bring a young boy to Jesus and they say, Hey, this boy has something today. He's, he's interested in you, Jesus. We don't know this boy, but but he's got a little something in his sack today. He's got some food in his lunchbox today. And Jesus, he's interested in helping out. He's interested in you. And and they bring this young boy. And what happens after Jesus or after Philip finds somebody who's interested and the things of the Lord, and interested in helping out, and interested in Jesus, is that boy's lunch turns into an amazing miracle. You see, Philip had no part to play except finding somebody who was interested. And I want to encourage you today that there's people out there who are interested in God. And all they have is a little lunchbox. But they bring it to church, and we watch miracles take place with that small lunchbox. And sometimes a miracle had nothing to do with Philip. It had nothing to do with Simon and Andrew. But it had everything to do with this boy who was interested connecting to Jesus. We can never look down on people and say, oh, they can never be used by God. They're too young or they're too old or they're too odd They're too far gone. They're too much of a sinner. They're, they're too much in the world. They party too much. They drink too much. They do too much drugs. They're too jaded. They're too stubborn. They're too rebellious. They curse too much. I don't think they could ever, they could ever be into the church. But I've seen all those people interested for a moment come to church, restored, renewed, revived, changed from the inside out. And their little lunchbox turns into a miracle for Cornerstone Church. I've seen it happen. And all those miracles are still out there. And it's up to us to bring those people who are just simply interested and curious about Jesus into this place. It's not about what they have to offer. See, we're not looking for the brightest and the best. Oh, I mean, We're not singling certain people out because they're better than others. Oh, they could, they could offer so much to the church. They're so talented. If only they could get saved. No, we're we're just looking for people who are interested, and some of them are broken down and beat up and hurting. They still we want them at church. We want them in groups. Amen, church? Let's continue on in John because Peter has found his friend. Then he stepped a little further beyond that. He's starting to, to gather, he's starting to bring people to Jesus who are interested. But then Philip goes even further here. In John chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, it says, some Greeks, that's right, Greeks, and, and you could just translate that, unbelievers. Unbelievers. Some unbelievers who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a, vi- a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. Oh, man, Philip is getting beyond his comfort zone here because he's, he's comfortable bringing Nathaniel. Why? That's my best friend. I got to let my best friend come to church. I got to let my best friend meet be Jesus. Then he's got interested people like a boy with a box lunch. He's got interested people, but now he's taking it a step further. He's going after unbelievers. He's bringing unbelievers to Jesus. This is what the Great Commission is all about, Folks. This is what it's all about. Philip is now being used to introduce real unbelievers to Jesus. Let us never forget what we used to be like before we met Jesus. And aren't you glad people look beyond your mistakes? People look beyond your bad habits. Welcome you into the family of God. People even at times saw your bad habits and see your mistakes and lovingly cover you still to this day to make sure that you're covered and prayed for and protected in the house of God. Let us never forget what we used to be like, an enemy of God. But yet we've been welcomed home. All our mistakes have been forgiven. All of our sins have been forgiven. We've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't others deserve the same, same thing as we've been given? Amen, church? And sometimes we've got to bring in the unbeliever to Jesus. Sometimes we've got to go way beyond our comfort zone. And, and get to, in, into the dirt and get into the, the, the grime and the gunk and we've got to bring the unbeliever to church. You never know. Jesus just might grab their heart and save them in a miraculous kind of way. We must do the same for others, what others have done for us. Hmm. You know, Jesus begins to take it even a step further with Philip. And Jesus even wants to take it a step further for us. Because it's easy to bring your friends. It's easy to go after your friends, isn't it? It's easy to convince your friend to come over to the house and hang out, watch a game, eat some food, play some games, have a bonfire, drink coffee. That, that's easy. And it's, it's really kind of easy to get, to get people who are interested there's, there's, there's camaraderie amongst interests. You know, I, if I wanted to, I could have I gathered some Detroit Lions fans, some, some people who are all interested in the Detroit Lions, and I could have invited them over to my house today to watch the first game of the season. They might not have been my best friends, but we all had a common interest. That, that's kind of easy to say, hey oh, you're, you're interested? You, you smell good? Come on over to my house. You know, you're, you you want to watch the football game with me today? You you like the Lions like I do? You, you why are we so dumb together? Let's just do it together. <laughs> why do we like the Lions so much? But let's just—we're all interested. Let's just—we're all suffer together. Let's do this together. I could have gathered a group. It would have been fairly easy. I could have—I could have convinced them to say, "I've got I got pizza and I got pop and and I'm I'm gonna pop some popcorn." Let's just come on over. Let's wash the lines together. That, that part's pretty easy. But then you go to, to, to the unbeliever. That's where it gets uncomfortable at times. To have somebody walk into your home who's an unbeliever, who's who's skeptic, who's a doubter, but curious at the same time. To welcome them into our home. To the into the family. To give them an opportunity to learn about Jesus, to believe upon Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be wonderful? The testimonies, you could say. We're getting, people are getting saved at our group. People are getting filled with the spirit at our group. People are getting free from addictions and bondages at our group. Pastor, it's amazing. This truly is what the Lord desires. Amen, church? But to go beyond that, there's another, there's another stretch of people beyond this circle. And further out beyond this, it's called our enemies. Our enemies. You know, back in the first century here, the enemies of the Jews were Samaritans. Jews believed Samaritans to be filthy people. As a matter of fact, a Jew wouldn't walk through Samaria because they didn't want the dust from the town on their feet. That's how. That's how weird they were about it. That's kind of. That's kind of. That's kind of wrong. Uh, that's a real horrible way to look at a whole group of people, and they would because they didn't want the dust of Samaria on their shoes. They would walk miles out of their way around the town to avoid Samaria. Huh. But Jesus led a Samaritan woman at the well to salvation by telling her about himself. Revealing to her about her past. Letting her know, I've, I know all about you, Samaritan woman at the well. But I want to tell you all about me too. And he led the Samaritan woman at the well to salvation. Huh. Did you know that this, this, this event that took place at the well with this woman offended the disciples? That they, that they see Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman at the well in the middle of the day by himself, and they're offended that he's, first of all, talking to a woman by himself? They're offended that he's getting his own water? They're, they're offended that, that he, he's talking to a Samaritan woman? And I bet Jesus is thinking, if you only knew about her past, you'd be even more upset. Because this Samaritan woman, she was, she was a, a life full of sin, and husband after husband after husband, and the man she was currently lived, was, living with wasn't even her husband at the time. Hmm. And then all of a sudden we see that Jesus tells this thing called the parable of the good Samaritan. Ever heard this parable that you were taught in Sunday school? This is parable is in Luke 10. Jesus tells this parable to a group of people and many of them are religious leaders within that group. He makes these religious leaders so angry because Jesus paints the Samaritan person as the good person and the religious people as the bad people. Jesus is flipping everything over and saying, it's time to love our enemies. You've been wrong this whole time about them. I love them. I want to save them. I'm looking to save them. I'm going after them. Oh my gosh. And Jesus, Philip, is involved in this process. Philip is seeing Jesus lead the Samaritan woman at the well to salvation. Philip is hearing Jesus talk about the parable of the good Samaritan. And all the while, I bet Philip is is wrestling with this idea that, but these Samaritans, these are my enemies. These go beyond just simple unbelievers like the Greeks. These are people that I avoid. These are people that I don't like. These are people that we talk bad about around the campfire when nobody else is around Jesus. But Philip is catching something. He's catching something. Listen to what happens in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is telling them, you're going to go to your neighbor, you're going to go to the unbeliever, and you're going to go to your enemy, because I want to go there. Amen, church? And guess who goes to Samaria? Guess who catches this? Who's, who's, who's been listening to Jesus and, and learning from Jesus, and he's been he has been inspired by Jesus, he's been changed by Jesus, and guess who goes to Samaria? That's right, Philip. In Acts chapter 8, he goes to Samaria on a mission trip. See, Jesus loves Samaria, and Philip catches the spirit of Jesus. That's amazing. After Philip goes to Samaria, he then sends the spirit, talks to Philip, and sends Philip to just one man. Acts chapter 8, verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside the carriage. And Philip gets alongside this carriage, and it happens to be the story of the Ethiopian man. And the Ethiopian man was just learning about the book of Isaiah, and he was being read to him and reading about the book of Isaiah and he was so curious about who this person was that the book of Isaiah was prophesying about who could this person be and Philip knows who this person is and begins to tell him that Isaiah is talking about Jesus and Jesus came and he died but he's sending us out and the Holy Spirit sent me to you and I just got back from Samaria you were in Samaria I was in Samaria and people were getting saved and now I'm walking alongside your carriage too because Jesus cares about my friends Jesus cares about my unbelievers the unbelievers, Jesus cares about those who are interested in Jesus. Jesus cares about my enemies. And Jesus even cares about just one person sitting in a carriage. Amen, church? We've got to catch this Philip spirit today. We've got to catch the heart of Jesus for our communities today. We've got to catch it. Man, we're better together. We are better together. We're not designed to be isolated and separated we're we're better together the bible even says be be careful as the end approaches even more so gather together even more so why you're going to you're going to need it you're going to need it you're going to need the 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 prayers of of the church you're going to need it. you're better together jesus understands it and sees it don't isolate yourself this year hmm i know you've heard this before but i just love the example of the redwood tree these redwood trees they're 300 feet tall they can live up to 2,000 years but the roots are shallow and only one inch around they're so big these redwood trees are so big that there's an actual tree in Washington that you can drive your car through it it's so big That there's a tunnel, somebody carved out a tunnel in the middle of the tree, the trunk, and you can drive your car right through it, and it's still alive and healthy. But these redwood trees are massive, they live for an incredibly long time, but their roots are real shallow, and they're only one inch thick. So what are they doing? They're not going down into the depths of the underwater riverbeds, getting nourishing water from from down there. there. As a matter of fact, if a redwood tree is alone, it won't live long because its roots are shallow and its roots are small. And if the smallest storm or disease comes upon that tree, it dies really quickly. So what's the secret to the redwood tree's success? is that they never grow alone, isolated. They always grow together. And actually, as they grow with their roots, begin to connect and wrap around other trees' roots and begin to intertwine and entangle and connect with one another. So that's when, if a disease comes onto one tree, it gets nourishment from all the other trees around it, and it survives. And if a large storm begins to blow through, it's not alone with shallow, small roots easily blown over. It's connected with other 300-foot-tall redwood trees, and it stands strong and withstands the storms of life. Do you get what I'm saying today, church? That there are storms that come. You might not be in a storm right now. Praise the Lord. But a storm is a-coming. And one day a storm will come. And are you going to be standing alone in your storm? Or are you going to be connected with other believers in your storm? Storms are going to come. We've got to stand together. I believe the wind is going to be blowing and blowing and blowing upon us Christians in the end days. The winds are blowing against us now more than ever. And the wind is only going to get stronger. And the storms are only going to get bigger. But what are we going to do? We're going to stand together. We're going to stand together, church. That's why it's so important for you to get into groups. For you to get into teams. For you to join the church. To have a family of God. Praying for you. Believing for you. Uh, uh, supporting you. Talking to you. Believing with you. Praying with you. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells the parable of the house built on the rock and then there's a house built on the sand. And the house that's built on the sand falls over. But the house that's built on the rock withstands the raging storms that come. Let's be a house that's built on the rock, church. I want to end with this story. There's a wonderful story of a man named John Ramirez He was the leading satanic high priest of New York City. He was raised from his father, who was the satanic high priest. He was taught at a very young age how to worship Satan, how to astral project and and, and curse people. Yeah, he would speak curses over people and they would die. There's a power from below that they tapped into. And they ruled and reigned in New York City with this power specifically from below. He became wealthy. He would astral project to manifest his desires and they would come true. That the power of Satan was working within him to rule and reign in New York City. And he was the high priest of New York City. But John Ramirez got saved and is no longer a satanic high priest. And now that he's saved, he actually does interviews all over Christian television, all over YouTube, talking about his experiences as a satanic satanic high priest and spending all night long astral projecting curses over apartment complexes and neighborhoods and communities. And he would declare that the wealth in that community would come to him and it would actually happen for him. Well, he's, he's, he, before he got saved, he didn't understand everything happening in the spirit world because he was only tapped into the darkness of the underworld. But every now and then, he would be astral projecting and declaring curses over a neighborhood or an apartment complex in New York City. And he said that he would be doing this thing, and he said everything that he would do would be powerless. And there happened to be this this glow around the apartment, or a glow, a simple glow around a a neighborhood or even an individual home. And no matter what he would do, he couldn't break the power over that apartment. And then all of a sudden, in the spirit world, he would see that there would be just a few Christians walking around the apartment complex praying. He would see the spirit world. He would see the activity of a Christian praying in that home. And no matter what he would do as a satanic high priest, he would fail with his curses. And this power that he would come against was stronger than him. And you know, that was one of the reasons that he ended up getting saved, was because he encountered a power greater than his. And I want to let you know, church, that our prayers are powerful. And that when you prayer walk your neighborhood, it's not just for your home. That that prayer walk can cover an entire neighborhood. And that if you live in an apartment complex and you're a praying mom or you're a praying dad or you're a praying teenager and you're in your closet praying, that the power of those prayers can cover your entire apartment complex. That when we pray in this room, our prayers are not just for me specifically, but my prayers begin to cover the church in general. That we are, we are doing something way beyond what we could ever think, dream, or imagine. That the church is better together. That the powers of the underworld cannot conquer us. Cannot conquer us. Cannot. Has no influence in this place. And I know what it feels like at times. Sometimes it feels like the enemy comes against you, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like the enemy comes against your family. But I want to encourage you today that they have no power over you. And the power of a praying church together creates a strong community that can withstand the attacks of the enemy, can grow through a depression, can grow through a recession, can get larger through something that the world, as the world collapses, the church will get stronger. I promise, church. We're better together. Amen. It's so important to just be connected, to understand that what we're doing goes well beyond ourselves and our individual families. That our time together, just worshiping together today is much greater than you could ever imagine. That our prayers that we pray today the, from 8.10 a.m. to 8.35 a.m., it wasn't just for the, the, the few that gathered. It, it covers the church today. That's why we do it. We're not ignorant to how the Spirit of the Lord works. And so today, I want to encourage you to get in a group. And when you get into your group and maybe join a group for the very first time, be so encouraged and so excited to know that you're joining a community of faith that's going to pray for you, that's going to encourage you, that's going to be there for you, that's going to help you, that's going to visit you in the hospital when you're sick, that's going to bring you groceries when you need it the most. That's going to be there for you when you need them. Amen, church? Let me pray for you. Dear Jesus, I, I pray right now, Lord God, that, that the church, the church would respond. The church would understand the, the times and the days that we are living in. And they would begin to take it serious. Join a group, join a team, join a church, get involved, get connected, become stronger Together, Lord, I pray that for for anybody in this room this morning who's needs to give their life to Jesus. They're they're not a believer in Jesus, but today they are. If you're in this room right now and you would love me to pray for you to become a believer upon Jesus, to become a Christian, to become saved, you right now just simply raise your hand, and say, "Pray for me, Pastor Luke." Pray for me. Anybody in this room? Say, pray for me today. I want to give my life to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for a group of believers. We thank you for a group that's better together, stronger together. And everybody said, amen, amen. I'll draw your attention one last time to your card.